This is my niece, Piper. It's a picture from last year. Just in case you're wondering, she was not named after the theologian, Dr. John Piper. Some of you are probably wondering, why did you pick this picture with that swollen left eye? There's a, there's a story behind it. My niece last year was navigating, she's only, she was only one and a half, she's navigating herself down some steps on the patio, and I'm watching her. And she finds herself in this place where she's just standing. I'm like five steps down, there's a bunch of people outside, but I continue to watch her, and she just starts moving her hands. I'm like, what's, what's going on? She found herself covering one of the exits of a beehive. And all of a sudden, she screams, she, she yells out, just yells. I run down there, I grab her and swoop her away. She got stung in the eye and in the ear. This is a picture of her from this year, my niece Piper. Click. So you see her eyes all good. Maybe you're feeling stuck this morning, like you can't move. Even though you're getting stung by the busyness, stress, and distractions of life, you still can't move. You're going through the motions. Nothing is going your way. You know that Jesus alone is your Savior and that you can do nothing apart from him, but you can't muster up enough energy to cry out his name. You're tired. You're weary. You got questions, and there seems to be no answers. This morning, I want you to take a moment to consider and remember the incomparable God, the God who reminds us that he alone is the only one qualified to carry us and save us, and he promises to do so. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful morning, this cloud cover that you have given us to bring us cool weather. I can feel myself sweating right now. Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that you would help me, Lord, to, to faithfully preach your word, to preach your truth. Lord, work in our hearts that we would draw near to you as you draw near to us that we would follow you, that we would put away all things that distract us from loving you and following you and trusting you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness? And examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? All right. Before we take a complete nosedive into this morning's passage. I'll catch you up to date. Isaiah is generally divided into two parts. Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, focuses on God's judgment against the nation, and it hints at the promise of a holy seed. Isaiah 40 through 66 focuses on God's comfort and salvation, and that's where we've been at for the last few weeks. We've seen over the last month that idolatry is foolishry. I just made up that word so they could come together. We've also seen God's supremacy over idols and that God alone is Savior. Let's jump into Isaiah 46. 
Please turn there just in case you haven't yet. I'll provide the structure or outline that I'm going to use for Isaiah 46, 1 through 13, so that you can get a taste of what to expect. In verses 1 and 2, the Babylonian gods Bel and Nebo are introduced. In verses 3 through 7, God says, listen to me. And God is described as the one who carries and saves. And then God is contrasted or compared with the Babylonian idols. In verses 8 through 11, God says, remember, recall, look back to the past. I am God and there is no other. And what God has spoken will come to pass. In the concluding verses, 12 through 13, God again says, listen to me. God will draw near to his people. And the big idea for this morning's passage, just in case you're taking notes, only God will carry you and save you. Only God will carry you and save you. The burden and humiliation of the false Babylonian gods, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. I'll stop right there. Who are Bell and Nebo? Bell is another name for Marduk. You'll see that a little bit later. Bell is the chief god or the storm god of Babylon. Bell's son is Nebo. Nebo might have been the more popular god of the two. Nebo was known as the god of writing and wisdom. Wisdom the keeper of the tablets of destiny. These tablets of destiny, just in case you're wondering, are not the same golden tablets that Joseph Smith found buried <laughs> near his home and later translated into the Book of Mormon. Not the same tablets. Nebo is a compound element of the name, in the name Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or as Kevin likes to call him, King Nebi. Nebo is also found in other names, Nebuzaradan or Nabonidus. Back to verse 1. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols, the images of Bel and Nebo, their idols are on beasts and livestock or on cattle. These things that you carry, these things that you carry are born or carried as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden. They cannot save the images. But themselves, Bel and Nebo, go into captivity. So we see that Bel and Nebo are in a prostrated and humbled position while carried on the backs of weary beasts and cattle. So imagine this scene, the vision of Isaiah into the future. The images of Bel and Nebo are being paraded on the backs of animals that are sagging. They're more likely being hauled away because of a coming invasion. The beasts and livestock are stooping low, the backs are sagging, the animals are struggling to carry this burden. It's like when I go to Costco and I buy like six packs of 40 bottled waters and I try to stuff them in my trunk and the back of my Camry is hitting the cement as I drive away. My shocks are going to give out. This is what it must have felt like for these animals. Isaiah is not painting a glorious picture of Babylonian gods reigning in dominance. 
Rather, it's a picture of collapse, of Bell and Nebo themselves dominated and humiliated. Bell and Nebo are obviously unable to save themselves. The burden they were supposed to carry was that of Babylon's welfare, to help them escape from invaders. In an ironic twist, Bell and Nebo are the ones who need help escaping. And you're going to see this more vividly displayed next week as Babylon is laid down to sit in the dust. Chapter 47, verse 1. The prophet Jeremiah describes a similar grim outcome for Babylon. In chapter 50 of Jeremiah, verse 2, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach, Marduk is dismayed, her images are put to shame, her idols are dismayed. We see that Bel and Nebo have proven themselves impotent, useless, good for nothing. So this is not good news for those who trust in false Babylonian gods. So if Nell and B, Nebo, if Bel and Nebo can't save, who will? The burden-bearing and incomparable God saves his people. Verse 3. Listen to me. Shema, hear me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have borne, carried by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. We see here that we never outgrow our dependence on God. From before birth to the babies in the womb, like four-week-old baby Owen Robles, Israel has been carried by God from before their birth. You'll remember when Pastor Josh talked about the flexing of God's outstretched arm. Turn a few pages back with me to chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, see, the Lord God comes with might, and his arms rule for him. Behold, see, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. You don't have to go there, but listen to the psalmist. Psalm 71, verses 5 and 6. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Back to Isaiah chapter 46, verse 4. Even to your old age I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and save. Even this guy right here, me who stands in front of you with some gray hairs in his beard. Some of you have gray hairs out there. All the way to the oldest person in this room. God carries all of us. He carries all of us. 
Verse 18 of Psalm 71. So even to your old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. It is God alone who carries, who sustains his people. Unlike the gods of Babylon, God has the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole wide As Ryan preached about last week, Ryan, you were too polite to sing for us. Thank you. So I thought that I would. Unlike the gods of Babylon, God is the only one and creator. God is the one who carries. God is the one who bears his people's burdens. God is the one who acts on behalf of his people. God does not look for a way to escape his people's burdens. Rather, he provides for them a way of escape. We know from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has proven himself omnipotent all-powerful, and because God is infinitely powerful, that is, there is nothing that is impossible for God. God is so powerful that he sustains and carries you every milla, billa, trilla, zilla second of your entire life from before you were born to your old age. Who then can be compared to this God? No one can be compared to the incomparable God. Verses 5 through 7. Verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Isaiah is asking a rhetorical question. It's like me asking, is there anyone who can sing, you alone can rescue, you alone can save, like Trinity Bible Church? The answer is obvious. No one can. No one is like Yahweh. Not Bel, not Nebo, not the millions of gods in the Mormon religion, not Buddha, not Allah. No one is like our God. Isaiah is making the claim that this kind of question is ludicrous, absurd, ridiculous. It's just plain crazy talk. There is only one God that can carry, save, deliver, and watch over his people, and that is the Lord God Almighty. Look back to Isaiah chapter 40 with me, verses 12 through 13. Some more rhetorical questions, just in case we haven't got it yet. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Same chapter, verses 25 and 26. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these, the stars. Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The Babylonians loved to look into the sky to try to predict the future. 
I love that we have these massive telescopes that we just throw up into the sky. The Hubble telescope, the telescope, to peer into the depths of space. Even they can't come back with answers for who is greater than our God. They come back with a picture of a thousand more galaxies and a thousand more stars. They keep trying to peer deeper and deeper into space, more pictures of more galaxies and stars. Like they're trying to see if there's something we may have missed. I think we've missed that no one but God alone knows the stars by name. And I think, and that no one but God alone can predict the future. Back to verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 46. Listen to what those who want a God for themselves have to go through. Listen to all this trouble. There are those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales. Hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a God. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place. And it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. They just went through a whole lot of trouble in making a God to compare to the incomparable God. Those who lavish gold, they let the gold flow from their money bags. They weigh out the silver in the scales. They have to hire a goldsmith. Hopefully the goldsmith makes it just the way they want it made. The goldsmith has to then make the God, and then they fall down to the God. Then they worship the God. Then they lift the God, and then they carry the God. After all that, they set the God in its place. That's a lot of work. They did all the work. And the God they made didn't do anything. And finally, the God just sits there, chilling out. It doesn't even move. This God can't even blink. Blink. The God can't even blink. Now, that, now let's now compare and contrast their God to Yahweh, God Almighty, the living God of the universe who is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. The God who will never leave you nor forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us. God dwells in all places in his created order. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Don't go there. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord? And not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. Making a God to compare to the living God is just plain foolishry, not wise. So just in case you're thinking, 
I would never do such a thing as make an idol. Hang on. Hang on a second. Or maybe you're wondering, what is an idol? I got a definition. Idolatry, according to the Erdman's Bible Dictionary. In the Old Testament, the worship of gods other than Yahweh, especially through images representing them. The New Testament extends the, con- extends the concept to include any ultimate confidence in something other than God. Examples given, covetousness, surrender to appetites. An idol is a representation, an image of what you trust in for salvation other than God. Whatever you look to for identity and security or even an expression of your imagination to give your life meaning and purpose, that is idolatry. Let me give some examples. Maybe you find your ultimate confidence and security in your record of righteousness, your religious activity, your good works, your family history. Maybe you find meaning and security in your material possessions, clothes, cars, homes, collectibles, etc. How about your money, your savings, 401k, Roth IRA, HSA account? How about your health? You find security and hope in the foods you eat, the hours you spend in the gym. Maybe you find meaning in relationships, your spouse, your children, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your family, your co-workers, your friendships. Maybe you find meaning in the number of likes, loves, and messages you get or don't get on Snapchat, Instagram, MySpace. Yeah, there's still people who use MySpace. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. That was Twitter, just in case, trying to see if you were still there. Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest, LinkedIn. Maybe you find meaning for life and planning for the next big thing. Next job, next vacation, next relationship, next million dollars. Maybe you find meaning in the need of approval and recognition from others. Or maybe you're on the opposite end. You don't need approval from anyone. You do you. You have your right to your own identity. No one can question you. You got it all figured out. Just like the Babylonians who looked to Bel and Nebo for security, the hearts and minds of you and I are prone to wander and ponder and look for idols to make for our own security. Who are we to find our identity in? Who are we to look to to carry us and to save us? We need to encourage one another to remember what God has already done and trust in what God will do next. Remember what God has already done and trust in what God will do next. Remember things of old, verses 8 and part of 9. Remember this and stand firm. Recall and stand firm. The exact meaning behind stand firm is uncertain. We'll try to figure it out. The NET translates stand firm so you can be brave. Remember this so you can be brave. The KJV Remember this and show yourselves men. The NSAB, remember this and be assured. There's also the SAV, it's the Steve Anderson version. Remember this and think about it. Act like you know what's up. That was my version. Let's settle on remember this and stand firm. 
Stand, stand still. Reason this out. Remember this. Stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, you rebels. Stop being foolish. What were they to recall to mind? The former things of old. How about for starters, remember the first of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Maybe they were to look back on their own rebellious and stubborn ways. How their fathers wandered away from God during the Exodus. How they gathered around Aaron to fashion out of their rings of gold to make a golden calf for themselves to worship. And you'll remember in Exodus 32, verse 8, These are your gods, O Israel, who you brought out of the land of Egypt. And how does God reply? And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They were to recall that idolatry is just plain foolishness and rebellious and sinful. And what else were they to recall, to bring to mind? That God had not broken his covenant with them. That he was still watching over them. That he was still faithful. That he had not abandoned them. Rather, that God had delivered them from their bondage to slavery. That is what God does. He carries and delivers his people. In Exodus chapter 34, we see that the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Back to Isaiah. Verse 9, chapter 46. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. They were to ultimately recall that the only true and living God is Yahweh. To help reinforce their belief that Yahweh is God and there is no other. To consider, to reflect, and to look back and to be reminded that Yahweh is the great I am, and there is no other. Do you recall? Do you remember when you first came to know and love God and be known by God? When Jesus saved you and lifted you up, when Jesus carried you, when you were set free from sin and no longer a slave to sin, do you remember you were no longer ashamed because you had come into the light? You had experienced a peace and a love that is inexpressible. You were in awe of God and rejuvenated by the hope that you now had in Christ Jesus. Ask God to remind you of his great love for you. It's easy to forget. 
the former things of old. The mercy and grace of God in our lives, the things God has set us free from. Why? Because we are still crawling and scratching our way through the muck and mire of our sinful tendencies. That is why it is so important for us to continue to meet together, to be under the authority and the teaching of God's word, to encourage one another by praying for one another, by singing together, by checking in with each other, reminding one another to read Psalm 136. The psalmist reminds us of God's steadfast love, that it endures forever, over and over and over. Just read it. That's all he says. The steadfast love in God endures forever, over and over and over. Psalm 136. Sometimes we just need to take a moment to slow down, to think about things above, to consider all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I was just sharing with a brother in Christ last week a verse from Psalm 119, verse 92. I don't know how many times we said this over and over to each other. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We encouraged one another to remember God's word. We prayed verse 17 from Psalm 86. Show us a sign of your favor because you, Lord, have helped us and comforted us. When's the last time that you prayed to God, show me a sign of your favor? I am weak and weary. Remind yourself that you are God's. Say to him, I am yours, and you alone are my God. Show me a sign of your favor. Help me to trust in what you have in store for me. Trust in what God will do next. The end of verse 9 through 11. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The attribute of God that Isaiah is highlighting in support that Yahweh is the only true and living God and, there, and that there is no other is that God is omniscient. God knows all. Yahweh declares the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done. God can declare the future because he knows it and ordains it. God foretells events of the past and things yet to be done to come. God says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. The Israelites were stiff-necked. They were rebelling against God who wanted things done his way. They thought they could do things their way, that their way was better. They thought they knew a better way to escape from Babylon. Fortunately, God does things his way, the way he sees fit. His counsel shall stand, and his purpose he will accomplish, such as his calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of his counsel from a far country. 
his calling and sending of Cyrus, that predatory bird of prey, like an eagle coming to grab a flopping fish from a lake or a stream. I was just in Minnesota. I almost got to see like a, an eagle come grab a fish. King Cyrus of Persia. Maybe there was a dad somewhere in the ancient Near East throwing his baby son Cyrus in the air, both of them smiling and laughing long before baby Cyrus could pronounce Babylon. God is simply God because he predicts the future and brings it to pass. God has spoken. God will bring it to pass. God has purposed and God will do it. So why are God's people in captivity? Because they rebelled and sinned against God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, God's people received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God tells them about their exile, and then God says he will redeem his people, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. God has spoken. He will bring it to pass. He has purposed it. He will do it. You know, there, there, were, there was another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. He proclaimed that there would be a Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. He said in chapter 32 of Jeremiah, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? If God says it, it will come to pass. What do we get to look forward to? A feast in the house of Zion. Verses 12 and 13, announcement of future righteousness and salvation. Verses 12, Shema, hear, listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. Their hearts were still far from righteousness. They did not have their mind set on things above. They were getting stung by the stress and distractions of Babylon. But that doesn't excuse them. They were still doing what was right in their own eyes, making gods for themselves, refusing to listen to the truth, refusing to remember all that God had done. But God, verse 13, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. What will God accomplish? Righteousness and salvation for his people, for those who trust in him alone, to the glory of his great name, for his sake and for his glory. So maybe this morning, or maybe for the last week, or last months, or even years, you've been thinking, I'm stuck. You're looking at the Bible, it's right there, right there in the stand, right in front of you, within your reach, but you just can't seem to pick it up, grab it, and read it. You want to pray, but you're frozen, numb. You can't seem to pray the right words or be still long enough to think about God. 
Let me remind you this morning of someone who kept his mind on things above, who loved the Father's will. His name is Jesus. I wonder if you know him today. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said that one thing is necessary, to choose the good portion, to choose him, to sit at his feet and listen. And that portion will not be taken from you. Jesus prayed that the will of the Father be done and not his own. When Jesus' captors came to arrest him, it was they who drew back and fell down. Jesus did not fall before them. We are the ones who denied Jesus and ran for him. Jesus didn't run. He carried the cross to Calvary. It was Jesus who carried us, who bore our sins, the sins of mankind. It was Jesus, and it was nothing but the blood of Jesus that saved us from our sins. It was Jesus who made for us a way for us to be in right relationship with God the Father. It was Jesus who was raised from the dead so that we could be made alive in him. It is Jesus who intercedes for us, and it is his spirit who helps us to remember that Jesus alone is God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God. Right now, cry out to Jesus. Say, I am yours. Repent of your sins and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And ask Jesus to make you into a new creation. Ask Jesus to reconcile you to God. 2 Corinthians verse five, chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Only God will carry you and save you. Let us pray.